Hi, welcome to Stardust Records, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Savi, and I'm here with my co-host, Linz. We're here to highlight a Latina author shining bright in the Star Wars universe, here to share her insights and talk about her stories from a galaxy far, far away. Please welcome Zoraida Cordova. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I, a little bit about myself. Uh, oh my God, I don't, I should know the answer to this question by now. I've been publishing for about 10 years, a little over 10 years. I write in the Star Wars universe. I write for Disney, like Disney princess stuff. I generally consider myself a speculative author, but also a romance author. Those two things are very, very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was born in Ecuador. I grew up in New York City. I love to travel. I do not snack when I write because I don't like sticky keyboards. <laughs> My favorite Star Wars character is probably all the Latin men. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, there are more Star favorite Star Wars characters. But <laughs> that's, that's just, that's where we'll start. Um, and yeah, thanks again. <laughs> of course. I, I feel like that's, those are our favorite characters too. This is a, this is a safe place to say that. <laughs> uh, our <laughs> podcast was started for rogue one and andor so cassian's like one of our favorite guys ever i love him so much (laughs) did you did you watch his prequel show i did watch the prequel show and it was just so beautifully and smartly done and i it was i felt so tense the whole time rogue one is one of my favorite star wars movies so so Sealand, she's the perfect guest for us. <laughs> she's it's perfect. <laughs> we just wanted to dive in a little bit to your background as a writer. So, what pieces of media inspired you to become a writer and how did your journey as an author begin? I I feel like I I I've I've told the story a few times, so I'm going to try to find a different uh entry point. Um one my favorite media, the media that got me to be a writer, was that 1990s, early 2000s young adult fiction, um, like authors like Vivian Vandeveld and Holly Black um, and uh, uh, Charles DeLint, um, who were writing in this very, very odd uh, urban fantasy space. Um, and that was the first time I realized that you could have magic layered on top of the mundane real world. And after that, I sort of discovered shows like Buffy and Charmed and even Sabrina the Teenage Witch, right? Like things that were uh, real and and had an, an aspect of the magical. Even, even like a movie like Casper with Christina Ricci or Adam's Family, like the original ones, not, um, obviously. And so, uh, I mean, the original ones to me are the ones, you know, w- with Christina Ritchie, who was my, I guess, like my teenage avatar <laughs> um, growing up with her. So that's sort of what sparked my creativity. And of course, I love Star Wars. We were Star Wars household. Um, and it wasn't until I was a teenager and I I, I got a, a, a writing prompt for a a school project and after that moment I was like I know exactly what I'm going to do with the rest of my life (laughs) yeah it was very instantaneous I would say 
I'm not, obviously, I'm not a professional author, but uh, to your point about the prompts, how you said it was a prompt that kind of like helped spur you into it. Um, that was what got me into creative writing as well was the way that um, my teacher uh, presented writing to me, my literature teacher. She would have us read a section of the book that we were reading, like, you know, this is the two chapters you read. And then she say, okay, before we read any further, what do you think, like, write what you think, what would have happened next, or if this happened differently, and then we'd have to write like a little one, two page story based on a prompt that had to do with our book. And so that kind of got me thinking about, you know, creative writing. So I, when you said that, I was like, oh, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Would you say that any of the characters from the, the authors that you had mentioned from those books inspired the characters that you write today? Uh, not really. Um, okay. I think maybe just the idea. I, I, I do have a lot of girls who make mistakes and accidentally do something wrong and fall in love with the wrong person. <laughs> I, so those things deeply imprinted on me. If you read Convergence, Axel and Gela are very much like <laughs> uh, rooted in the idea of one person. I mean, both of them fall in love, but they still can't be together. I really, really love that kind of narrative. Um, oh my God, that was a spoiler, but you can bleep that out or is this a, the book has not, been out for almost a year it's yeah fine. and pe- think, we, people know that we're a spoiler a spoiler podcast so and most people that are probably going to listen to this are probably gonna be like oh, I read Convergence I need to hear from Zoraida <laughs> excellent I do have um I get myself a piece of jewelry for every book that I publish it started around my sixth book I should I, I have to give myself some retroactive presence mm-hmm. um but for convergence I got a nameplate that says gray lark on it um that's <laughs> so love wholesome that. that is so cool oh I love uh, that mm-hmm. and <laughs> jewelry is very close to you so it's like you always have these characters on you mm-hmm. or with you yeah I have like two rings for my my witch books my labyrinth lost books and uh yeah I'll just keep getting more that's so fun I I do have a quick question since we're talking about Axel um yeah did you did you so you created him correct yes like yes he was okay amazing job 10 out of 10 (laughs) he's very loved in the Star Wars community (laughs) all all of them I love all of them (laughs) they're they're just amazing and I was worried about being in phase two, I read the first book in the series and it's very uh, removed from Convergence because it's like a separate thing. And so after I finished the first one, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to move on. Like, I don't know if this is going to get me. And like within the first chapter, I was like, I didn't put it down. That was amazing. Thank you. I really loved writing that book. It was very stressful because the timeline was shorter than I like for adult books that are that long, but man, I, I think that I try not to listen to my inner critic when I'm writing. Cause usually I'm like, Oh, this is not, you know, not where I want it to be. But with this book, it was more like, it was more of, um, I, as I was drafting the, his, the, the character, um, of Axel, I, I sort of had him 
before I had everyone else's personalities. Like I write, when I write for Star Wars, I write in, in my books too, to be fair, I write in sort of archetypes. So for, before I can settle on a name, they're usually like, um, uh, enemy prince or, um, the, you know, uh, oh my God, Fantuzen from Irem. He, I, I just had them as water prince for a long time. And, um, <laughs> and Axel was always like, uh, spoiled chancellor, chancellor's son, uh, until he got a name and, and his, his, the journey to his name was a little, was a little long because I had named him something that had already been used for a bigger property. And I didn't know because I, you know, we don't know what's in the works. And so they were just like, oh, this name is like safe or something big. And I, so I had to go back to the drawing board. And then I came up with a list of names and uh, Star Wars was like, these are all too fantasy. And they were, they sounded like Lord of the Rings names. Uh, and then I don't know what I was doing. I settled on Axel. <laughs> I love it. It is, it is a good name. Axel Greylock like really flows perfectly mm -hmm. off of the tongue. <laughs> Your books often feature diverse characters and cultural elements. How has your own background influenced your writing and how important it is for you to represent diverse voices and cultures in it? I think that I, you know, I, 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 I approach this topic in two ways. Like one way is, you know, I feel like writers pull from the real world. Um, and so you know, Stephen King, a lot of his books are set in uh, New England. Um, Neil Gaiman, a lot of his books are set in England, regular England, old England, <laughs> uh, except for American gods, obviously America. But um, so for me, it just feels natural to pull from the world around me. Like there's, there's no other, there's really no other choice. Um, I think I would have to work pretty hard to just write a, a straight cis white world. Um, and, and so I, I, for, like, I guess I always thought it was like just what you do, but you know, the publishing industry and the media industry always makes it feel like, oh my God, you're doing something uh, X, Y, Z. And, and I, and I understand why, because for a long time, like the movies and books that were being put out are only featured one type of hero. And then people of color were always like an extra or a side character or the best friend. And, and so now, now that the industry is sort of getting, is um, getting bigger, diversifying, um, there's just more room for more types of people, which is a great thing, especially when you're working in a, in something like space, right? Like where, you you can there are millions and millions of planets so they can't all have just white and blonde people and uh, so so that's you know like the idea of that it being like an important mission it's more of like i'm just doing the right like i'm just doing what everyone else is doing right <laughs> or, or that's what it feels like it's like i feel like i'm doing like the normal thing because nobody would ask nobody asks like Again, I'm just using Stephen King and Neil Gaiman because I read a lot of their books as a teenager. Um, like nobody asks them, it's like, how do you feel like about representing nice white people uh, having magic? <laughs> um, it's just sort of like part of who they are. So it, it feels very natural. It is very natural. And I love 
the idea that anyone can pick up a book and be like, okay, this book doesn't have a character who looks like me right now, but it shows the the myriad of people all around us. And I can still relate, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's, especially like, look at Star Wars right now. We have Diego Luna and Rosario Dawson and um, Pedro Pascal and Oscar Isaac. And, and, and so we're just an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That reminds me so much of what you just said about nobody asking like Stephen King. Uh, Adria Arjona said she wishes that it didn't have to be a question. How do you feel like how do you feel about being in, like a, a Latina in Star Wars or how do you feel to be like the first? And she was like, well, I I am happy I'm the first, but I I hope that that opens the door for a lot of other people after me. And I hope that this never has to be a question for those people after me. And it makes a lot of sense because you're right. Like nobody asks Hayden Christensen, like, was it like being a a blonde hair, blue eyed, uh, well, hero in Star Wars? For a minute. Yeah, for (laughs) for like one or two movies, but- Uh, Sweet Hayden, I love him so much. (laughs) We love him too. I feel like my love, for him has grown since exponentially uh, yes he did did you watch the interview that he did with Diego Luna no I did not I do feel like I I need to watch it um I (laughs) I do feel like I feel so bad for the actors from the original trilogy because like the fandoms were so mean to them and traumatized them yeah and all of a sudden everyone's like we love you again it must be like such emotional backlash like emotional whiplash Mm -hmm. um (laughs) Yeah, to to like have a movie come out and then feel like you put your heart and soul into it and then it be essentially hated. And then now it's like people are appreciating it and they're like, well, where were you all those years ago? I know. It's fine. They're getting getting the love they deserve. (laughs) And I do think that, and someone's made this point, it might've even been Ewan McGregor, uh, but someone made the point that like, the people who appreciate them now were kids then and they didn't have the voice that the adults did in their criticism so they did have people that loved the movies back then they just didn't have the voice that they do now because now they've grown up and they can actually express that love to Hayden even to all of like the prequel actor all the actors um which I think is such a beautiful way to think about it it's like those kids grew up and now they can they can say hey no we love those movies like don't listen to those stuffy critics who didn't they just couldn't be pleased like we loved it so yeah I thought that I thought that was a really cool way to think of it because you know time goes on yeah mm-hmm. that interview was so fun and it was really cool to see the the differences on two sides of Star Wars coming together to discuss it and I really recommend watching it it's super cute but okay Linz you're up to the batting (laughs) plate all right so for our next question we know you've written a few Star Wars books from standalone Crash of Fate to Convergence in phase two of the High Republic what was it like coming into the vast world that is Star Wars and was it interesting to write two very different parts and times in the galaxy um Okay, so the first part is what was it like coming into the vast world of Star Wars? Uh, the very first time was a short story. Uh, the Tanaka sisters in who are in the cantina, they have like two seconds. 
uh, in the original movie and in, in, in Star Wars Episode Four. Um, and I felt paralyzed with fear. Like I, I know that it, the point of this anthology was that, like it's supposed to be so much fun and. It was fun and we got to do a really cool thing at Comic-Con and have all the author signings and it was just such a blast. But I did feel initially paralyzed with the fear of, oh my God, I now have to write a Star Wars. Um, and I felt the same way with Convergence and with A Crush. I mean, I guess I just enter every single book with the sense of dread which I call like it, but it's like a good kind of fear because it tells me that I care about the end result. I care about what readers are going to think. I care about, and I know you're not supposed to like read reviews and I don't. Um, I do, however, like I do read sometimes when I'm tagged on something. I don't have Twitter anymore, but like on Instagram, uh, some reviews are really, really sweet or like somebody dresses up in a cosplay and and that stuff I really love. Like I don't, I don't shy away from it. And it's not that I shy away from reviews, but I just, they're not for me to read, right? Um, but, and so that, that, so I go back to that fear, that sense of fear and, and it's just telling me, okay, you have to do a good job. You have to concentrate. You have to um, make sure you give it your all and, and, and write a book sort of like, I want to feel worthy of, of it. And I know that I am, and I know that, I'm happy with the end results of, of, of my books. I never, I never feel that they're finished. I always feel like if you give me my draft back, I'll rewrite a bunch of parts because the, you know, your, your brain is always working. Um, and so every novel, no matter Star Wars or, or mine or anyone else's, like, I feel like every time an author writes a book, it's just a, a screen cap or, um, uh, like a Polaroid snapshot of who they are in that moment. And so like, if you, if you revisit something years later, or even a few months later, it'll be different because you're different. Um, and, you know, you see that in sort of anniversary editions. Again, I'm just, I'm re reading American Gods, the 10th anniversary edition. And it has like a bunch of edits that Neil Gaiman made. Um, and there are a few writers who have that where it's like, here's an anniversary edition. Um, and it has the author's, uh, preferred text. Um, and that happens a lot because I feel like the author gets the opportunity to say like, oh, I can make this better because I have grown in a decade, hopefully. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's how I sort of approach. Like, I think that was the question. <laughs> was it interesting to write into very different parts of the, the timeline? Uh, it is because writing in phase two we're so far behind we're at the beginning of the timeline that you know we're pre-skywalker saga and it it's an aspect of of the galaxy where we know what's coming and so we sort of get to see the mistakes that people have to make in order for us to get to anakin and luke and leia and Ray and Finn. Um, and so it, 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 it's, it's very strange. Um, and I really love, I love the High Republic. I love what we get to do and the characters that we get to make up. Um, so I hope that there's an opportunity to, to write more of it. I love Batu. I feel like every like Disney fan or 
you know, Disneyland goer really enjoys Batu. So Crash of Fate was so fun, especially the beginning. I I I read like a good chunk of it and then I stopped. I have this thing where I'll start it and then I'll never finish it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can't believe I just admitted that to the author of the book. <laughs> but um, I had so much fun with it. There was there was some lore where I was like in the park the next time and Lindsay and I are going together in October. So I'll, I'm going to try and finish the book to like piece together more things. But when you like, do you have the opportunity to write that lore? Like, does somebody give it to you? and you go off of it or it depends uh some and that's the thing like you know it, it it's all a collaborative process I, I think that if you revisit a crush of fate uh the audiobook is very good yeah the narrator I love her so much Brittany is great Brittany Presley so they, there are aspects of when I wrote a crush of fate uh I didn't get to go to to Galaxy's Edge before it opened. I know that Delilah Dawson did get to go, but she lives in Tampa, so it was like an easy drive for her. She'd just be like, "Hey, let me in." Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I couldn't make it down, um, so I got this like scanned PDF that you couldn't even search because um, it had been scanned uh, with like my name backsplashed, uh, watermarked every time I opened it or accessed it, uh, and that document had everything about the world so everything about the world of Batu. the things that I made up were Izzy and Jules their families um and uh the some of the, the especially like the the villains and that, that they're dealing with um so I got to make up a lot of the, the characters the characters that are have functions in the world like um the guy who runs Ronto's Roasters and Savi at Savi's workshop and Doc Onder, like people that are, that have like a function there. Those were all given to me and sort of like, okay, pick what you want to play with. But the characters of Jules and Izzy, I definitely like, I made up their origin stories, I guess. And for Convergence, it was the same thing because there were characters that were sort of up for grabs. Um, and so Gala was one of them. And she was the old, Gala and uh, Creighton, sort of the, I guess the, the Jedi. The, I like, I, I picked the Jedi, my, like my action figures and was like, okay, now I have to give them a personality. I have to give them like decisions and backstories, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of like you get like uh, Barbie dolls to play with, but everyone else was me, you know, like the, I, the getting to create the lore for Iram and Erno was it's what was one of my favorite things of, of working on that book especially because like as a fantasy lover I love creating mythologies and so to think about like what is the agriculture of these planets like what do they believe in um do they have gods how many gods do they have how do they bury their dead uh where you know how do they how do they get rid of their their sewage like mm-hmm. all of those things I feel like goes into the architecture of world building um in fantasy novels and then I wanted to create like my own sort of Jedi myths. Um, so I got to make one and it's in Convergence. And I, 
it's sort of like a warning story to Jedi and and they let me keep it. And I did, I did sort of like when, when it was suggested, like, okay, okay maybe is this a thing? And I'm like, well, even Jedi have myths. Like, so let's, so I, re- I did fight for that one. I did, it wasn't like a fight. It was more of like, I really, I, I think like, these are the reasons why I think this works. And um, they agreed with me. So that's sort of what it's like creating in Star Wars. Well, like you said that's, earlier, that's so cool. Yeah. Like <laughs> you said earlier, it, it's like the get, like, the galaxy in Star Wars or the multiple galaxies are vast and endless. So it, it's it's really cool that they give you guys a say in it because so many different authors and so many different ways to write and different opinions. And so it's cool. It's like a little a little puzzle piece that makes a bigger picture. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's a it's a writer's room, you know, um, yeah. and I love I love story group. I love uh, working with Lucasfilm and and sort of the 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 High Republic group especially like I feel like they're they're such great friends and yeah it's been really it's a great opportunity it's been a great experience and opportunity it it seems like it seems like it's a lot of like a lot of fun like I follow a couple of the other authors on Twitter and just everyone just seems so just uh, passionate and invested in specifically that era because that's kind of what's being worked on recently but like it's just really cool to see the interactions that they have and the comments that they've made about you know their works and things like that so um, we're very fond of the higher public uh, the contributors to the higher public so you as well <laughs> um, thank you so uh are there any specific moments or achievements in your writing career that stand out as particularly meaningful or transformative for you? I don't know about transformative. I do think that every book sort of teaches you something new about who you are as a writer and what you want to say. I think that during the pandemic, it was really, really hard to write in general or at all. And, and so the only things that I wanted to write were magic and romance. And so now I'm just never going back. Even though there was magic and romance in all of my previous books, um, now it's just going to be like in your face all the time. <laughs> this is so I think thing. that like now it's like, yeah, like these are the <laughs> things you can expect from going into as a writer quarter of a book. And, and so I guess, I guess the pandemic changed us all, which is, you know, kind of a boring answer, but it is what, um, that, that is one aspect and one way to look at it because your book, like your books teach you something for me. And for me, part of like, part of being a writer is, is, is a constant journey of learning. So like, it's always going to be an education. I'm always going to be reading a nonfiction book or, you know, hold up on JSTOR <laughs> looking for articles that have to do with a subject that I'm, that I'm working on. And so all of that research, you're always learning. And um, some people don't research and it's fine because, you know, part of it is that it's fiction. But um, to me, the research part is the transformative part. And the thing that reading other authors is also a big part of that research. And so like making sure that I let myself discover a new writer, especially if they're, you know, from a marginalized background, um, 
because like reading fiction is the biggest tool that you have to keep your own writing sharp and it reminds you and where you fit on the bookshelf at least for me and so those are I guess those are like little moments and and obviously a pandemic big moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. I saw on your Instagram story I took a screenshot because I didn't want to forget but you just got the new uh Iliad translation oh yeah yeah (laughs) Well, Lindsay and I are really big fans of like Greek mythology and stuff. Would you ever write a story in in Greek mythology, or I I'm just asking as a, as a fan too. <laughs> uh, probably not Greek mythology. Uh, however, I am part of an anthology called Fit for the Gods, which I saw that is on your Greek website mythologies, yeah. and so that one is it's probably okay. Oh my God, I already answered this question wrong. So I've written two short stories. One is inspired, I've written many short stories. I've written two short stories that are inspired by the Greek pantheon. I love Greek mythology. I don't think I have anything new to say about Greek mythology in order to write a novel. Although although I do have, I have one story that maybe in a few years, once I finish everything else I want to do first, I'll write it. Um, and I'll tell you once the podcast is over. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> so a surprise to everyone else. Okay. We're um, so excited. <laughs> but I wrote uh, in, in my anthology that I edited, it's all Latinx, Latina, Latino, whatever you want to call it. Um, Latin diaspora, Latin American diaspora stories uh, that are fantasy and fiction, fantasy uh, and science fiction. Uh, and it's called Reclaim the Stars. And I have a story in that anthology uh, which was my reverse gender bent uh, Hades and Persephone. I loved right. I think I want to make that into a novel. Um, it is. Uh, it wouldn't be Greek mythology. It would be like, but it, that's where it started. That was the the original seed for the idea, right? So you have like, he's he's um, a himbo who grows vegetables, and she. <laughs> is like a dark underworld goddess. <laughs> um, that's, I, that's Schiff's kiss. Like that's that's perfect. <laughs> so that's that's one. And then Fit for the Gods, I sort of wrote in like a fugue state over two days, this short story of the Greek gods have reanimated and into new bodies. And so they're all kind of mortal and they're they have like regular jobs uh and um and and not just the greek gods but like heroes perseus it's really about perseus and medusa and um it's like a transcript like a documentary transcript of like what really what's really the story of medusa and I don't know how else to pitch it other than that. It's like a, a mockumentary of the reanimated Greek gods. And it's kind of ridiculous, but I had a, a lot of fun writing it. And so that's in the anthology fit for the gods. That sounds like a, like a lot of fun to read. I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> I don't uh, want to forget. We've both been playing Hades game, which is, I feel like it's pretty lore accurate in, in Greek mythology, but it's, it's Zagreus. So Hades' son 
and he like is accepting help from the gods and they each have like their own personality and you can grow friendships with them and it's really cool it, it's fun so that's why I wanted to ask a little personal question nice. outside of Star Wars I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of close it out we have another question after this and then we have a, a fun silly question that we ask all of our guests but how do you see the evolution of diversity and representation in books and what role do you hope to play in it in your future work um i mean it's it's sort of an it's it's an uphill battle it's a sisyphean task uh to go back to greek mythology um I think that it's it's something that you know we're we're fighting so hard with these book bans everywhere all the time, and it's like eleven people are responsible for all of for like hundreds of book bans. There's a woman who like she was just a, there's an article I don't want to say her name, but there's an article in the Washington Post about her, and every single week or month she brings up she like challenges a new book, and she keeps them all in her basement like a freaking psycho killer um <sighs> and highlights passages that are offensive or sexual or whatever and she doesn't think should be in libraries um I mean the answer is maybe just don't check those books out and don't read them like mind your business but mm -hmm. so it I feel like you know diversity and representation in books is it's something that it's the same thing with civil rights right like as soon as you get complacent they'll reverse Roe v Wade and um and slowly start stripping your rights away and so you look at that as a metaphor in the star wars universe right like you get complacent and then you get uh the a new order right like you get <laughs> you get um snope and kylo ren and and so it's it's sort of like you you can't ever you can't feel complacent about something that is as important as like civil rights um and representation is part of that because everybody deserves to see themselves in, in books and media and um, we're all on this planet together. So it's like, it, it feels like it shouldn't even be a question. Um, but yeah, and the only way to do that is to support marginalized writers and, um, and have space for them and, and, and have publishers promote them, which has, you know, like where are all during the pandemic, all of these publishers were buying books by black and brown authors and where are they now, right? Like the New York Times list used to be full of, of, of black author names and now it's just 17 books by Colleen Hoover. <laughs> and, you know, no shade to Colleen, she's a hard worker and she's, you know, she's a boss lady. Um, but it is, it is, it is curious. Um, how how things have have shifted and I think it's because like we all just got a little comfortable and um which is to say like we we not one person can't do everything but everybody could do a little bit mm -hmm. right um and whether that's like buying a book and supporting somebody with like a good review or um a good honest review um or um like parents who have kids at these libraries like also attending those meetings and being like hey uh, my kid goes here too, and you should not ban a book that your kid doesn't even have to read. Um, so that's my soapbox. <laughs> no, I, and I completely agree. I, and to your point about, um, you know, like, where are they now? It's like these, um, these outlets that could 
really it was like it was all performative you know it was yes. when it, it suited them it's when it suited them and they just you know there's a defined line between um representing and um uh taking advantage of and uh and it and it has to do it just comes back to if it suits them and if it benefits them and so yes to your point it's like you know we need to support by just like if someone like what you've just said we're going to be putting that out there and sharing your posts, like sharing your work, buying your work, um, all these other authors that are stepping out there and sharing their stories. And, you know, we talk about like diversity and representation and everything. And I think it's just, you're just showing the truth of the world. Like what you're writing is just the truth. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be that like, oh, this is just this, but it is. Um, But it shouldn't be that like, oh, this is such this wild new thing. It's like, you guys are just writing and showing what the truth of this world is. And what we have seen in the past is just what others wanted you to see or wanted us to see. And so by giving marginalized people um, a voice, it's like they can actually share what is all around us, you know, a true gradient and, and a true um, representation. There we go of, of what this, what this world is. And so um Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I remember, absolutely. I, I remember being uh, in 2016 or 2015, I was working on a book that I had just sold and the publisher was giving me a hard time for XYZ. Um, and I was looking for Latin authors, Latino authors, writing in science fiction fantasy in YA. And I could not find a single book I'm telling you like there was like Isabel Yande had written a YA um but she doesn't like I inter- I did an interview with her and I love her she's so interesting I love her so much but she was also like I don't really like kids like I'm never writing a children's book ever again and I, I was like I get you I understand it but so hers was the only one that I could find and then there was like a Spanish Spaniard fantasy which to me is very different um uh and uh written by a white author who I love Ray Carson that is a really good series the girls of fire and thorn and those are the only two books that I could find and then I found uh my bro space poppy Daniel Jose older and Mm. so like for a period of time it was just me and Daniel writing speculative fiction in YA at a made at like traditional major publishers um and I like I mean major as in like some are like, like there are small publishers and then there's like all the other big publishers and so like it was just the two of us and um now I'm so happy that there are so many more and I can count on more than my two little hands uh the number of authors that I'm seeing and so that is something to be happy about. Um, and so I just hope that that continues. And I wanted to bring up Andor because we had, Linz had said something and you just had some, said, said something where, you know, Andor was like a really big show and had a really big audience, but it had a very not, you know, Americanized or like an, ex, an experience that like Americans know because Cassian was this, immigrant that came and and 
people said that the show felt very uncomfortable, like good, but there were some experiences that, you know, to someone who hasn't lived in that discomfort feels very uncomfortable. So, mm. you know, like me reading it with, you know, a parent who, who came and like, who didn't know anything about the United States and, and didn't know the language and the people and what it was like. And, you know, home wasn't the U.S., but home wasn't Cuba anymore and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, to read about it now, like as her daughter and, and you know, watching that and, and or like how she must have felt, it, it's, it is really like to see that on such a big, widespread sort of platform is crazy and then to read about it and then to find those aspects of yourself like as a Latina in those characters when for so long you know you grew up with like white characters and like they were blonde and and things like that and they didn't look or feel like you but but now I, like you said like I do really feel like when I'm reading something with you know like a Latin American molded character it's like wow I, I can kind of see like my mom or like my family or something like that so it, it is a nice world to be living in where you feel represented oh like, yeah I mean it's such yeah. a joy it's such a joy I I had that feeling uh the very first time I had because I mean I I grew up with Latin media right like I watched telenovelas and and the news was in Spanish in my household Same. um especially because like I, I was born in Ecuador. So like when I came here, it was, I was like six or seven or five, five to seven. I honestly really forget. I'm 36 now and my memory is gone. Um, but I, so like, I didn't lack the same, I lacked representation in American media. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously Latin media has its own problems because, uh, I don't even want to get into it, but whatever. So, uh, but I, so I, I had like the, the first time I felt myself represented in, in American media was when I watched Jane the Virgin. So when Jane the Virgin got yeah. translated from, from a, a Venezuelan soap to an American sitcom. And I was like, oh my God, you know, aside from the Virgin part, me like <laughs> the accidentally, you know, like the, you know, accidentally pregnant Virgin part, this is just me and my grandmother and my mom, like a hundred percent. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it was I feel like very recently it was Andor but then I also love that Rosario is Cuban I think yes. that Ahsoka the the like girl that I grew up with watching the Clone Wars like eight-year-old me is now being played by a Cuban woman and that's like wild to me because Ahsoka was my character as a child like she was mine and I was hers but seeing like a Cuban woman playing her I was like this is crazy <laughs> so cool. I love that I Me love too. it I love it. it it's it's really really nice and I I hope that it continues I I was in Barnes and Noble the other day and uh they have Las Madres that just came out and uh the Vampires of El Norte I think that Linz and I were gonna read that one together but it was so cool like seeing a Spanish two Spanish words on the front of a novel like <laughs> at the front of a Barnes Noble I was like I think it just looks so pretty on display <laughs> it is pretty nice um I look I'm I'm gonna continue to do this as long as publishers let me and if they stop letting me I'll self-publish 
<laughs> so as as lot, but as long as I have people who want to read my stuff, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep showing characters from all over, you know, with, with like, obviously like a Latin anchor, uh, uh, or a root in the story and it you know I, I have so many plans for so many books that I want to write that sometimes I get overwhelmed with like I'm gonna run out of time I'm gonna run out of years I'm gonna run out of like something but hopefully I'll get them I'll get as many in before before I can retire <laughs> we're rooting we're- for you I was literally about to say that. I oh stole gosh. it. I'm sorry. Right from your brain oh cells. <laughs> We're connected. We're connected somehow. Okay. Okay. I One love of the last it. Question. <laughs> One of our last questions is, um, so what advice do you have for future authors and aspiring writers? Any? Okay. Future authors and aspiring writers. My biggest, okay. I've learned a lot of things over the years from mentors uh, the very first lesson I got in writing, which is a line level thing, line level is like trim the fat off of your books. Like if your book is a steak, trim, obviously you want to keep some like pretty language and, and by fat, I mean, like, this is like the pretty language that like, what does it mean? Does it, does it further, does it further your plot or is it just pretty? Um, and so that was a, a teacher, a poetry, poetry teacher named Cornelius Edie. Um, That's a name. That's a and, good name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I always think about him when I'm doing my final revision, uh, and I'm just like, all right, like let's look at every sent every single sentence. I go through it like, like I'm looking for like something in a a pot of rice. Um, and so that was like one of the first things that I learned as a teenager at this writing program, hosted by the National Book Foundation. The second thing I learned was read everything. And, and I mean, I feel like reading is, I said this before, and like reading is your sharpest tool in learning what you want to say um, about the world, because your book should have a point of view, right? Um, and as we know from Star Wars, everything is a little different, right? From a certain point of view. Um, depending on who tells a story. So uh, I go into a book trying, knowing like I'm trying to say something about a topic. It doesn't have to be about the whole world, but it could be about one character and that character to somebody like they are their whole world or like, or a situation is, is all encompassing. And so knowing what you want to say can really help you figure out how not to have writer's block. And then the third thing would be writer's block isn't really real. It, it, you're, it's, a, it's not a physical block. It, it can be if you have a headache, if you're like tired or burnt out, like that's one way of having writer's block. It just means you're tired. Your brain is tired. You need to do something else. You need to consume story. You need to read comics, listen to music, go to a play, do something, right? Anything to shake you out of that, boredom on we burnout but the other thing that it is is like you've made you've made a you've made a, a wrong turn on the way to figuring out what your book is about and you have to like now you have to go back like go back a few a few paces a few chapters and and figure out where you went wrong uh daniel jose older my love and i 
had, um, look, he's like my big brother. And he and I used to disagree on outlining, but I think now he's an outliner. (laughs) Uh, And so for number four would be an outline is your friend. It doesn't have to be like knowing every single thing your character is going to do, including like, including uh, opening and shutting a door or like they're going to pick up this glass of water and take a sip before they, you know, profess their love for the other main character. It could be something like my character in this scene needs to have a revelation. My character in the next scene needs to have an accident. My character in that scene after like their love interest is going to come and nurse them back to health. Right. Cause we, we all love that. Um, <laughs> that trope i'm sorry it's just like my brain just always returns to romance it ours too (laughs) we love romance hurt hurt comfort is one of our favorites Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh yep um i feel like it was such a missed opportunity in convergence when when that thing happens to axel in in the third act um (laughs) (laughs) i think about that all the time i'm sorry uh things i wish i could have done it's always an extra week to, to imagine um it's, it's like <laughs> fiction in your own brain it's how you fall asleep uh, at night <laughs> yeah so like like writer's block can be fixed it's like it's not it's just in your head it's just something is happening and it's your body telling you something um and then okay so I said read outline trim the fat uh yeah those I think those would be that's where to start that's really good advice. That's some of the best advice I've ever heard. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> and it's it's something that is good to be reminded of constantly. I almost yeah, want to just like make a little like sign by my keyboard and be like, okay, <laughs> look, <laughs> look at it. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome to. Um, I have Kurt Vonnegut's like lessons on writing and then one from Hemingway, which is, I wait, I don't know if this is Hemingway or if this is Isabella Allende. No, Isabella Allende said, write what should not be forgotten, no. right? And she's and she comes from it from a point of view of like a refugee who had to flee Chile, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where Pedro Pascal is from, who also <laughs> was a refugee. And then I, I'm pre- I don't know if this is Hemingway and please don't like be mad at me if you're listening to this and I'm wrong. <sighs> Somebody said, uh, write honest and true about what hurts and so I can't remember I can't I I always attribute it in my brain to Hemingway but I could be absolutely wrong and I don't want to google it right now so um you can you can (laughs) correct me uh uh, in the show notes (laughs) or something it it was Ernest Hemingway (laughs) yes okay I I, I can keep my I can keep my library card trust yourself (laughs) trust in yourself (laughs) Okay, so this kind of brings us to the end. Well, Our fun question. A fun, yes, a fun question. Would you like to ask it? Uh, so we ask all of our guests this, and we ask each other this as well, because it's more fun when all of us do it, like a lot of things. But if you could shadow any Star Wars character for a day, who would it be? Oh, uh, this is so hard. Why <laughs> would you do this to me? <laughs> you know there's so many different ways to answer this because there could be like, I could shadow Leia and risk my life every single day fighting for a rebellion that is ungrateful. Uh, I could, uh, Han is the clear answer. Just 
robbing people in space, smuggling things in space with Han Solo. Um, That's the perfect answer. Jesus is my, not my co-pilot. It is Han Solo. Um, <laughs> or rather, I'm his co-pilot. <laughs> um, for my books, I would probably, although in my book, like, if it was like one of my books, I would want to say I would shadow Axel Greylark because he knows how to have a good time. Although I probably wouldn't want to be with him when we get arrested and end up in like a Coruscant jail in like level three or I don't know. I don't remember what level I gave his jail cell, jail cell but um, yeah. Because, because you know that he would leave you there and his mother yeah. would come and take, get him out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Kion Greylark for the win um I look I've heard really great things about her for 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 cataclysm she really throws down I think Lydia did an incredible job um it's actually funny I don't I don't read fan fiction because I've been told that we're not allowed um for you know for oh. the Star Wars stuff um but while I was at dinner a few weeks ago with, with some of my best friends we we're having like our six months everybody must come to dinner dinner and um they one of them pulled up AO3 and searched for convergence by me and I'm horrified at how much mother Axel fan fiction there is no like they pair them together This is bad. But like, honestly, guys, they're the same age. So some of the tags were like, because mother's in her 30s and Axel is 33. So it was like, sort of like, it was a, it was like age gap was one of the tags. And I'm like, there's no age gap. They're almost the same age. Wait, like, (laughs) wait, wait. Never read Is mother like a character or is it his mother? No, not oh, his mother. Oh, okay. This whole time I was like, his mother. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I was gasping for a different reason, but oh, yes. No, okay. So the mother is our villain from phase two, and she's very seductive and very beautiful and uh is force sensitive. Um and um in in light of and for light and life, the new anthology for the high republic. Uh, I wrote a short story of the first time that Axel and the mother Alicia meet. Um, oh boy, That's it's it's fuel the fanfic. The, well, the original, <laughs> the original, the original title for the story was uh, Axel Greylark's Day Off because I really like writing funny stuff, even though some people don't think I'm that funny. Uh, I think I'm hilarious, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I I wanted to write like a comedy like a day where everything goes wrong and and Axel has to learn a lesson and I did and I really and now it's called the Queen's Bloom and so it's uh it's a fun short story but anyway yeah so like I was surprised by how much of that fan fiction was out there and pleasantly surprised that there was uh Gela and Axel fanfic which I was really hope the entire time I was writing Convergence, I was like, I'm not allowed to write this scene, but I hope somebody else does. (laughs) (laughs) 
see, I I love that now that you've said that. I like that perspective because uh-huh. you know some sometimes authors and and directors and and uh, writers mm-hmm. for scripts and stuff can't do what they hope, but it's implied or or even actors. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know. I, I, I hoped that it could have been this way or I think of these characters this way so it is mm-hmm. it is a nice thing to hear that like you're like oh, you know oh someone, yeah someone I mean took them. that's how someone took them and is like gently caring for them I appreciate that also like uh I should say that they those scenes do exist but for many reasons that I agree with I agreed you know with the notes they didn't make it into the book. Um, mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so thank, thank you everybody else for like, I don't know, <laughs> mind melding with me. Um, and so, yeah, so like my friends were just reading me these, these hashtags and I was like, oh my God, I love it. <laughs> I yeah, love- uh, AO3 hashtags can get pretty creative. There's actually a Twitter account that, rip to this account it 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 stopped posting but uh it was out of context star wars ao3 tags and it had (laughs) some of the funniest things ever star wars fanfic writers are some of the funniest people (laughs) they truly are it is like blessed oh my god um i love it (laughs) yeah it it's it's a lot of fun um okay Okay, wait, okay, wait. Savi, you need to tell us who you would shadow. Okay, I don't know if I've said this one before. I don't think that I have, but I would, so she's in Lost Stars, and uh, (gasps) do you know who I'm going to say? Wait, tell me, which one, who is it? I was going to shadow Longhara, the white (gasps) Wookiee. Oh my god. First of all, Lost Stars is... I think it's my favorite Star Wars book. It's yeah, um, so good. Because <laughs> I, you know, I ne- I'd never read Star Wars books before Lost Stars. Um, I didn't know that they existed because, like, my library didn't have any, and I could never afford books. And so when Lost Stars came out, it was like a revelation. And now, of course, I since then I've gone back to read like some legends books and oh my god john jackson miller is just a king love him um i just like went through like everything that he wrote and then obviously tins on <laughs> um yes but lost, lost stars is like still i every time i every time i meet up with claudia when i'm like in her hometown when, like where like i'll say hi to her and not like i'm like you know i'm still thinking about how you owe me the sequel <laughs> we literally we, said the same we, thing to her and we met <laughs> we we met her a couple of years ago at a comic-con and we we're like please, please. lost stars you when <laughs> we're like please claudia it's literally we beg you agonizing lost stars was my introduction to star wars novels as well i had never read a star wars book before and i read that 600 page monster in a night i have never read like my eyeballs burned from how fast I read each page but the ending the way that it ends a was perfect but b it like absolutely agonizing yeah it 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 needs a sequel right it's like when you binge a show 
and then you find out and then it gets canceled yes it's the worst thing it's like please claudia we're on our hands and knees (laughs) she i remember she said something about how like more time had to pass in like the she Star gave Wars us universe. a very vague answer, but definitely not a no. Yeah, she so, didn't say no. It has to like it has to come from Star Wars. Like we have to be exactly. like it has to, something like you know how like politicians get lobbied. Like you have to start send a petition and send it to Lucasfilm and make <laughs> sure that they throw a bunch of money at Claudia and are like, here is like a bag of gold. Please go write <laughs> a sequel to Lost Stars. Call it Found Stars. And then, uh, well, you know, we're good. Yes. Okay. I'm, like, a sucker. I don't know what it is, but I'm a sucker for, like, like, I guess aged up romance, like, older, maybe, like, 40s, like, Thane and Sienna, like, as adults. Oh, my God. That would be great. It wouldn't be, like, I want to know if Thane has, like, a gray beard. What is that called? I don't know, but it's why I love, why I think we love this show, 1899, because the protagonists are older, and it's a romance, mm-hmm. and he has, like, gray in his beard, and, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. experienced love? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. But the reason why I chose Longhara was because she goes on, like, the supply runs to planets in need. So I mm-hmm. think that it would be fun. And then I remember one of the, her character traits was that she likes cheese. And I'm also a big cheese lover, despite Derry not agreeing with me. But, um, and she shows We all her- make sacrifices. <laughs> and she shares her affection. I think this is a Wookiee thing, but I remember she like picks Thane's hair and like cleans it. And I love like a good scalp massage. So I think that- <laughs> Like if I sat in front of her, she was she was made for you. She's yeah, she's like my mother from another universe. But I like just to tell her, like I think all of my problems would go away in just a day if we had mm. time together. But yeah. I love her, and the fact that she's like a white <laughs> Wookiee, I love her. She's all <laughs> old. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Lynn? I love it. Okay. Okay. So I've given, I've given like I've said Hondo before. I've said uh, a couple other people, but this today on this day, I'm going to say Yaddle because after reading <gasps> Cataclysm, I'm like I just yeah. gotta, I just gotta be by Yaddle's side because I feel like she is just, she's the bomb. Like she's just, she's amazing. Like she has so much patience and wisdom. But she's also kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Yaddle this time because I feel like I would learn a lot. And I feel like everything that goes on around her would be really interesting to experience as well. So, yeah, I'd pick Yaddle. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. In those, uh, that, that collection of short stories, like the Jedi short stories that came out, there was the, the, the one where uh, Yaddle faces uh homeboy dracula space dracula uh oh uh, Count Dooku. Uh, Count <laughs> yeah yeah um oh my gosh mm-hmm. yeah oh, so that was cool. so good so so very good i love rest, that rest oh my in, goodness rest in peace rest in peace to the queen mm-hmm. <laughs> we we did it we made it through 
all of our questions so we we would have a fun day with all of the people who we would shadow and we talked and that's so much fun with you thank you so much for coming on we really really appreciate it you're so welcome um i have so many books to read and write uh i wish i could give like some recommendations of what oh, I, yeah. what are you guys reading i want to know what you guys are reading um i just finished the song of achilles <gasps> um, yeah oh my god i have like every version i could find about of i book. do too I, I have a whole shelf dedicated to it <laughs> i love it i i finished that book on the sixth train going home and i burst out crying that somebody asked me if i was okay and i live in new york nobody's yeah. you crying on the subway nobody cares like <laughs> it was such an ugly cry that like somebody a fellow new yorker was like are you okay and i'm like <laughs> you're like no i'm not <laughs> the patroclus achilles i can't um but yeah yeah well, i was i was uh i was camping and it was like blustering wind I couldn't sleep it was a hard ground and I had it on my phone I had, I had gotten it and I was like I should just finally read it and I I finished it in one night and then I <gasps> until I was so I like fell asleep dreaming about them and it was yeah yeah it was great <laughs> I, I read it a couple summers ago and I was like talking about it to Lynn's I have cried at her kitchen table over that book and when she finally yeah. read it and messaged me, but when I will never forget the agony in my heart. Like it was like a legitimate ache. I have never had a book made me feel that way. Madeline Miller is insane. <laughs> Incredible. I have to read Cersei. I haven't read Cersei. I'm still gearing myself up. She yeah. is doing a, a Hades and Persephone retelling that. We were just talking about that on our last podcast. <laughs> we're so Look. excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I just read uh, Lee Bardugo's The Familiar, which comes out in uh, April 2024. Um, it is, uh, a, it's sort of, it's set during the Spanish Inquisition about a Sephardic Jewish uh, magic wielder. I, I would call her a witch. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, who, who winds up getting involved in like this, the, the King of Spain's like, crazy plot to 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 sort of restore their kingdom and uh there's sort of this, this this secret championship for um the king's champion and it is so smart it's so well done and it's it's historical fantasy and i i loved it so much and i'm reading next right now i'm listening i'm reading a book called full moon over freedom mm -hmm. and all you need to know is former childhood sweethearts uh, in Kansas of all places um, with Mexican-American history and very, very, very sexy, sexy writing. Um, mm -hmm. And that book is by Angelina Lopez. I am reading Herc by Phoenicia Rogerson. So I'm actually listening oh. to it. I just saw that book. I was in I was in Scotland a few weeks ago, and I saw. I haven't seen that book in the states, but I saw I saw it over there. Um, I think it, I think it's a newer release. I'm not sure. Okay, but but it is it's the story of 
uh, Heracl Heracles, but it's mm -hmm. told from the perspective of everybody else in his life. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so each chapter is a is a different first person point of view. So it starts with his father, his brother Linus, uh, Helas, mm -hmm. uh, his nephew, doctors. It's so cool. It's uh, I just finished the Megara chapter about a day mm. and a half ago, and it's it's crazy. The writing I was listening to it while I was food shopping, and I was literally crying in a Trader Joe's. But I put down, <laughs> I was like, this is magical writing. I love this. But I was also planning to read Cersei because I've heard amazing things about it. So I think that mm -hmm. after that, I'll read, after this one, I'll read that one. If you like Norse mythology, the uh, the witch's heart, and I'm not going to pronounce this, the, the author's last name correctly, and I can't see the author's name in my head. But it's called mm -hmm. the witch's heart and um it's it's the north it's norse mythology and the story of loki uh and the a giantess um it is incredible i loved it so it does for norse mythology what uh all these other retellings have done for greek mythology okay. mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to check that out i yeah, yeah i just wrote that down that that one that one really sparked my interest <laughs> all right well that's it for this episode Zoraida where can we we find you on social media on social media I'm on Instagram at Zoraida Solo and on Blue Sky at Z like in Zorro and my website is ZoraidaCordova.com sign up for my newsletter which has all information. Um, I think November is going to be my Star Wars updates. Like I'm working on the next my uh, Star Wars book. Um, so hopefully I'll post some stuff. I don't know what I'm allowed to post, but even if it's just like, what is it like writing <laughs> my third novel for the Star Wars universe? <laughs> do we, Do you know when that's going to be released or? The novel? Yeah. It's wave two of phase three. Okay. Oh, fun. Okay, yeah, fun. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay. Of the High All Republic. Right. <laughs> we'll keep it. We'll keep an eye out. Lens, where can we find you? Um, at a cosmic love on Twitter and at Rebel Risen on Instagram. And where can we find you? And I'm at Anderisms on Twitter and Instagram. And Blue Sky I forgot I had that. <laughs> Since Twitter I have is one too. Going to its inevitable end. But <laughs> again, Zoraida, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a wonderful episode. And to the audience, we'll see you or we'll you'll hear us from us next week. <laughs> bye bye.